section fourteen of the fortunes of nigel by sir walter scott this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter twelve this is the very barnyard where mustered daily the prime cocks of the game ruffle their pinions crow till they are hoarse and spar about a barleycorn here to chickens the callow unfledged brood of forward folly learn first to rear the crest and aim the spur and tune their note like full-plumed chanticleer the bear garden the ordinary now an ignoble sound was in the days of james a new institution as fashionable among the youth of that age as the first-rate modern club-houses are amongst those of the present day it differed chiefly in being open to all whom good clothes and good assurance combined to introduce there the company usually dined together at an hour fixed and the manager of the establishment presided as the master of the ceremonies monsieur le chevalier as he qualified himself saint priest de beaujeu was a sharp thin gascon about sixty years old banished from his own country as he said on account of an affair of honour in which he had the misfortune to kill his antagonist though the best swordman in the south of france his pretensions to quality were supported by a feathered hat a long rapier and a suit of embroidered taffeta not much the worse for wear in the extreme fashion of the parisian court and fluttering like a maypole with many knots of ribbon of which it was computed he bore at least five hundred yards about his person but notwithstanding this profusion of decoration there were many who thought m le chevalier so admirably calculated for his present situation that nature could never have meant to place him an inch above it it was however part of the amusement of the place for lord dalgarno and other young men of quality to treat m de beaujeu with a great deal of mock ceremony which being observed by the herd of more ordinary and simple gulls they paid him in clumsy imitation much real deference the gascon's natural forwardness being much enhanced by these circumstances he was often guilty of presuming beyond the limits of his situation and of course at sometimes the mortification to be disagreeably driven back into them when nigel entered the mansion of this eminent person which had been but of late residence of a great baron of queen elizabeth's court who had retired to his manors in the country on the death of that princess he was surprised at the extent of the accommodation which it afforded and the number of guests who were already assembled feathers waved spurs jingled lace and embroidery glanced everywhere and at first sight at least it certainly made good lord dalgarno's encomium who represented the company as composed almost entirely of youth of the first quality a more close review was not quite so favourable several individuals might be discovered who were not exactly at their ease in the splendid dresses which they wore and who therefore might be supposed not habitually familiar with such finery again there were others whose dress though on a general view it did not seem inferior to that of the rest of the company displayed on being observed more closely 
some of these petty expedients by which vanity endeavours to disguise poverty nigel had very little time to make such observations for the entrance of lord dalgarno created an immediate bustle and sensation among the company as his name passed from one mouth to another some stood forward to gaze others stood back to make way those of his own rank hastened to welcome him those of inferior degree endeavoured to catch some point of his gesture or of his dress to be worn and practised upon a future occasion as the newest and most authentic fashion the genius loci the chevalier himself was not the last to welcome this prime stay and ornament of his establishment he came shuffling forward with a hundred apish gange and cher milor to express his happiness at seeing lord dalgarno again i hope you do bring back the sun with you milor you did carry away the sun and moon from your pauvre chevalier when you leave him for so long pardieu i believe you take them away in your pockets that must have been because you left me nothing else in them chevalier answered lord dalgarno but monsieur le chevalier i pray you to know my countryman and friend lord glenvorlach ah ah très honneur je m'en souviens oui j'ai connu autrefois yes i have memory of him le père de Melleur, apparemment we were very intimate when i was at holy root with monsieur de la mutte i did often play at tennis vit Melor can at la bille root il étoit même plus fort que moi à le beaucoup de revers qu'il avoit i've a memory too that he was among the pretty girls ah en vrai diable de chien ah i've memory better have no more memory of the late lord glenvarlock said lord dalgarno interrupted the chevalier without ceremony who perceived that the encomium which he was about to pass on the deceased was likely to be as disagreeable to the son as it was totally undeserved by the father who far from being either a gamester or libertine as the chevalier's reminiscences falsely represented him was on the contrary strict and severe in his course of life almost to the extent of rigour you have the reason milor answered the chevalier you have the right que ce que nous avons à faire avec le temps passe the time past did belong to our fathers our ancestres very well the time present is to us they have their pretty tombs with their memories and armorials all in brass and marble we have the petit plat exquis and the soupe à chevalier which i will cause to mount up immediately so saying he made a pirouette on his heel and put his attendants in motion to place dinner on the table dalgarno laughed and observing his young friend looked grave said to him in a tone of reproach why what you are not gull enough to be angry with such an ass as that i keep my anger i trust for better purposes said lord glenvarlock but i confess i was moved to hear such a fellow mention my father's name and you too who told me this was no gaming-house talked to him of having left it with empty pockets pshaw man said lord dalgarno i spoke but according to the trick of the time besides a man must set a piece or two sometimes or he would be held a niggard but here comes dinner 
and we will see whether you like the chevalier's good cheer better than his conversation dinner was announced accordingly and the two friends being seated in the most honourable station at the board were ceremoniously attended to by the chevalier who did the honours of his table to them and to the other guests and seasoned the whole with his agreeable conversation the dinner was really excellent in that piquant style of cookery which the french had already introduced and which the home-bred young men of england when they aspired to the rank of connoisseur and persons of taste were under the necessity of admiring the wine was also of the first quality and circulated in great variety in no less abundance the conversation among so many young men was of course light lively and amusing and nigel whose mind had been long depressed by anxiety and misfortune naturally found himself at ease and his spirits raised and animated some of the company had real wit and could use it both politely and to advantage others were coxcombs and were laughed at without discovering it and again others were originals who seemed to have no objection that the company should be amused with their folly instead of their wit and almost all the rest who played any prominent part in the conversation had either the real tone of good society which belonged to the period or the jargon which often passes current for it in short the company and conversation was so agreeable that nigel's rigour was softened by it even towards the master of ceremonies and he listened with patience to various details which the chevalier de beaujeu seeing as he said that milor's taste lay for the curieux et futile who chose to address to him in particular on the subject of cookery to gratify at the same time the taste for antiquity which he somehow supposed that his new guest possessed he launched out in commendation of the great artists of former days particularly one whom he had known in his youth maitre de cuisine to the marechal strozzi très bon gentil homme pourtant who had maintained his master's table with twelve covers every day during the long and severe blockade of le petit Leith, although he had nothing better to place on it than the quarter of a carrion horse now and then and the grass and weeds that grew on the ramparts Dieu, said toi un homme superbe with one tissel head and a nettle or two he could make a soup for twenty guests and on cheva little puppy dog made a waltie de plus excellent but his coup de maitre was when the rendition what you call the surrender took place and and depend and then at vieux madame he made out of the hind-quarter of one salted horse forty-five couverts that the english and scottish officers and nobility who had the honour to dine with monseigneur upon the rendition could not tell what the devil any of them were made upon at all the good wine had by this time gone so merrily round and had such a genial effect on the guests that those of the lower end of the table who had hitherto been listeners began not greatly to their own credit or that of the ordinary to make innovations you speak of the siege of leith said a tall low-boned man with thick moustaches turned up with the military twist a broad buff belt a long rapier and other outward symbols of the honoured profession which lives by killing other people you talk of the siege of leith and have seen the place a pretty kind of a hamlet it is with a plain wall or rampart and a pigeon-house or so of a tower at every angle oaths daggers and scabbards if a leaguer of our days had been twenty-four hours not to say so many months before it without carrying the place and all its cock-lofts one after another by pure storm they would have deserved no better grace than 
the provost-marshal gives when his noose is reeved sar said the chevalier monsieur le capitaine i was not at the siege of the petit lake and i know not what you say about the cockloft but i will say for monseigneur de strozzi that he understood the grand guerre and was a grand capitaine plus grand that is more great it may be than some of the capitaines of angleterre who do speak very loud tenez monsieur car c'est à vous oh monsieur answered the swordsman we know the frenchman will fight well behind his barrier of stone or when he is armed with back breast and pot pot exclaimed the chevalier what do you mean by pot do you mean to insult me among my noble guests sar i've done my duty as a pauvre gentil homme under the grand henri quatre both at courtray and ifori and votre saint gris we had neither pot nor marmite but did always charge in our shirt which refutes another base scandal said lord dalgarno laughing alleging that linen was scarce among the french gentlemen at arms gentlemen out at arms and elbows both you mean my lord said the captain from the bottom of the table craving your lordship's pardon i do know something of these same gens d'armes we will spare your knowledge at present captain and save your modesty at the same time the trouble of telling us how that knowledge was acquired answered lord dalgarno rather contemptuously i need not speak of it my lord said the man of war the world knows it all perhaps but the men of mohair the poor sneaking citizens of london who would see a man of valour eat his very hilts for hunger ere they would draw a farthing from their long purses to relieve them oh if a band of the honest fellows i have seen were once to come near that cuckoo's nest of theirs a cuckoo's nest and that set of the city of london said a gallant who sat on the opposite side of the table and who wearing a splendid and fashionable dress seemed yet scarce at home in it i will not brook to hear that repeated what said the soldier bending a most terrific frown from a pair of broad black eyebrows handling the hilt of his weapon with one hand and twirling with the other his huge moustaches will you quarrel for your city ay merry will i replied the other i am a citizen i care not who knows it and he who shall speak a word in dispraise of the city is an ass and a peremptory gull and i will break his pate to teach him sense and manners the company who probably had their reasons for not valuing the captain's courage at the high rate which he himself put upon it were much entertained at the manner in which the quarrel was taken up by the indignant citizen and they exclaimed on all sides well run bow bell well crowed the cock of st paul's sound a charge there or the soldier will mistake his signals and retreat when he should advance you mistake me gentlemen said the captain looking round with an air of dignity i will but inquire whether this cavaliero citizen is of rank and degree fitted to measure swords with a man of action for conceive me gentlemen it is not with every one that i can match myself without loss of reputation and in that case he shall soon hear from me honourably by way of cartel you shall feel me most dishonourably in the way of cudgel said the citizen starting up and taking his sword which he laid in a corner follow me it is my right to name the place of combat by all the rules of the sword said the captain and i do nominate the maze in tothill fields for place two gentlemen who shall be indifferent judges for witnesses and for time let me say this day fortnight at daybreak and i said the citizen do nominate the bowling alley behind the house for place the present good company for witnesses and for time the present moment so saying he cast on his beaver struck the soldier across the shoulders with his sheathed sword and ran downstairs 
the captain showed no instant alacrity to follow him yet at last roused by the laugh and sneer around him he assured the company that what he did he would do deliberately and assuming his hat which he put on with the air of ancient pistol he descended the stairs to the place of combat where his more prompt adversary was already stationed with his sword unsheathed of the company all of whom seemed highly delighted with the approaching fray some ran to the windows which overlooked the bowling alley and others followed the combatants downstairs nigel could not help asking dalgarno whether he would not interfere to prevent mischief it would be a crime against the public interest answered his friend there can be no mischief happen between two such originals which will not be a positive benefit to society and particularly to the chevalier's establishment as he calls it i have been as sick of that captain's buff belt and red doublet for this month past as e'er i was of aught and now i hope this bold linen draper will cudgel the ass out of the filthy lion's hide see nigel see the gallant citizen has ta'en his ground about a bowl's cast forward in the midst of the alley the very model of a hog in armour behold how he prances with his manly foot and brandishes his blade much as if he were about to measure forth cambric with it see they bring on the reluctant soldado and plant him opposite to his fiery antagonist twelve paces still dividing them lo the captain draws his tool but like a good general looks over his shoulder to secure his retreat in case the worst come on behold the valiant shopkeeper stoops his head confident doubtless in the civic helmet with which his spouse has fortified his skull why this is the rarest of sport by heaven he will run a tilt at him like a ram it was even as lord dalgarno had anticipated for the citizen who seemed quite serious in his zeal for combat perceiving that the man of war did not advance towards him rushed onwards with as much good fortune as courage beat down the captain's guard and pressing on thrust as it seemed his sword clear through the body of his antagonist who with a deep groan measured his length on the ground a score of voices cried to the conqueror as he stood fixed in astonishment at his own feet away away with you fly 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 by the back door get into the white friars or across the water to the bankside where we keep off the mob and the constables and the conqueror leaving his vanquished foeman on the ground fled accordingly with all speed by heaven said lord dalgarno i could never have believed that the fellow would have stood to receive a thrust he has certainly been arrested by positive terror and lost the use of his limbs see they are raising him stiff and dark seemed the corpse of the swordsman as one or two of the guests raised him from the ground but when they began to open his waistcoat to search for the wound which nowhere existed the man of war collected his scattered spirits and conscious that the ordinary was no longer a stage on which to display his valour took to his heels as fast as he could run pursued by the laughter and shouts of the company by my honour said lord dalgarno he takes the same course with his conqueror i trust in heaven he will overtake him and then the valiant citizen will suppose himself haunted by the ghost of him he has slain de par dieu milor said the chevalier if he had stayed one moment he should have had a torchon what you call a dish clout pinned to him for a piece of shroud to show he be de ghost of one grand fan ferrand in the meanwhile said lord dalgarno you will oblige us monsieur le chevalier as well as maintain your own honoured reputation by letting your drawers receive the man-at-arms with a cudgel in case he should venture to come way again ventre saint gris milor 
said the chevalier leave that to me begar the maid shall throw the wash said upon the grand poltroon when they had laughed sufficiently at this ludicrous occurrence the party began to divide themselves into little knots some took possession of the alley late the scene of combat and put the field to its proper use of a bowling-ground and it soon resounded with all the terms of the game as run run rub rub hold bias you infernal trundling timber thus making good the saying that three things are thrown away in a bowling-green namely time money and oaths in the house many of the gentlemen betook themselves to cards or dice and parties were formed at ombre at basset at gleek at primera and other games then in fashion while the dice were used at various games both with and without the tables as hazard in an inn passage and so forth the play however did not appear to be extravagantly deep it was certainly conducted with great decorum and fairness nor did there appear anything to leave the young scotsman in the least to doubt his companion's assurance that the place was frequented by men of rank and quality and that the recreations they adopted were conducted upon honourable principles lord delgarno neither had proposed play to his friend nor joined in the amusement himself but sauntered from one table to another remarking the luck of the different players as well as their capacity to avail themselves of it and exchanging conversation with the highest and most respectable of the guests at length as if tired of what in modern phrase would have been termed lounging he suddenly remembered that burbage was to act shakespeare's king richard at the fortune that afternoon and that he could not give a stranger in london like lord ligonvarlock a higher entertainment than to carry him to that exhibition unless indeed he added in a whisper there is paternal interdiction of the theatre as well as of the ordinary and never heard my father speak of stage plays said lord glenvarlock for they are shows of a modern date and unknown in scotland yet if what i have heard to their prejudice be true i doubt much whether he would have approved of them approved of them exclaimed lord dalgarno why george buchanan wrote tragedies and his pupil learned and wise as himself goes to see them so it is next door to treason to abstain and the cleverest men in england write for the stage and the prettiest women in london resort to the playhouses and i have a brace of nags at the door which will carry us along the streets like wildfire and the ride will digest our venison and ortolans and dissipate the fumes of the wine and so let's to horse godden to you gentlemen godden chevalier de la fortune lord dalgarno's grooms were in attendance with two horses and the young men mounted the proprietor upon a favourite barb and nigel upon a high-dressed jennet scarce less beautiful as they rode towards the theatre lord dalgarno endeavoured to discover his friend's opinion of the company to which he had introduced him and to combat the exceptions which he might suppose him to have taken and wherefore lookest thou sad he said my pensive neophyte sage son of the alma mater of low dutch learning what aileth thee is the leaf of the living world which we have turned over in company less fairly written than thou hadst been taught to expect be comforted and pass over one little blot or two thou wilt be doomed to read through many a page as black as infamy with her sooty opinion can make them remember most immaculate nigel that we are in london not laden that we are studying life not lore stand buff against the reproach of thine over-tender conscience man and when thou summest up like a good arithmetician 
the actions of the day before you balance the account on your pillow tell the accusing spirit to his brimstone beard that if thine ears have heard the clatter of the devil's bones thy hand hath not trolled them that if thine eye hath seen the brawling of two angry boys thy blade hath not been bared in their fray now all this may be wise and witty replied nigel yet i own i cannot think but that your lordship and other men of good quality with whom we dined might have chosen a place of meeting free from the intrusion of bullies and a better master of your ceremonial than yonder foreign adventurer all shall be amended sancte Miguel when thou shalt come forth anew peter the hermit to preach a crusade against dicing drabbing and company-keeping we will meet the, for dinner in st sepulchre's church we will dine in the chancel drink our flask in the vestry the parson shall draw every cork and the clerk say amen to every health come man cheer up and get rid of this sour and unsocial humour credit me that the puritans who object to us the follies and the frailties incident to human nature have themselves the vices of absolute devils privy malice and backbiting hypocrisy and spiritual pride in all its presumption there is much too in life which we must see were it only to learn to shun it will shakespeare who lives after death and who is presently to afford thee such pleasure as none but himself can confer has described the gallant falconbridge as calling that man a bastard to the time that doth not smack of observation which though i will not practice to deceive yet to avoid deceit i mean to learn but here we are at the door of the fortune where we shall have matchless will speaking for himself goblin and you other lout leave the horses to the grooms and make way for us through the press they dismounted and the assiduous efforts of luton elbowing bullying and proclaiming his master's name and title made way through a crowd of murmuring citizens and clamorous apprentices to the door where lord dalgarno speedily procured a brace of stools upon the stage for his companion and himself where seated among other gallants of the same class they had an opportunity of displaying their fair dresses and fashionable manners while they criticised the piece during its progress thus forming at the same time a conspicuous part of the spectacle and an important proportion of the audience nigel oliphant was too eagerly and deeply absorbed in the interest of the scene to be capable of playing his part as became the place where he was seated he felt all the magic of that sorcerer who had displayed within the paltry circle of a wooden booth the long wars of york and lancaster compelling the heroes of either line to stalk across the scene in language and fashion as they lived as if the grave had given up the dead for the amusement and instruction of the living burbage esteemed the best richard until garrick arose played the tyrant and usurper with such truth and liveliness that when the battle of bosworth seemed concluded by his death the ideas of reality and deception were strongly contending in lord glenvarlock's imagination and it required him to rouse himself from his reverie so strange did the proposal at first sound when his companion declared king richard should sup with them at the mermaid they were joined at the same time by a small party of the gentlemen with whom they had dined which they recruited by inviting two or three of the most accomplished wits and poets who seldom failed to attend the fortune theatre and were even but too ready to conclude a day of amusement with a night of pleasure thither the whole party adjourned and betwixt fertile cups of sack excited spirits and the emulous wit of their lively companions seemed to realise the joyous boast of one of ben jonson's contemporaries when reminding the bard of those lyric feasts where men such clusters had 
has made them nobly wild not mad while yet each verse of thine outdid the meat outdid the frolic wine End of chapter twelve